Hey you guys, it's Misty. This is Lattes and Legends. Happy Sunday! Yes, I know, it's my second episode this week. Hooray! I have some spare time on my hands. Yeah, so happy Sunday evening. Currently having a cup of coffee. Um, This is coffee number three for the day. I did have a latte to try to get some writing done. And catch up on life. Um because when you go on vacation, I feel like you need two more days to catch up on everything that you're doing, Um, which I'm almost there. So anyway, I got a lot of feedback about the last episode. Some of it was not so positive. And, you know, if you can't take a joke, you probably shouldn't be listening to my podcast anyway. Um, And there's probably a big reason we're not friends in real life. So Sorry that you're offended by every little thing, but the world does not revolve around you. The end. Anyway, on a more positive note, uh, thanks for new Twitter followers, new Instagram followers, and the like. You guys are amazing. Um, Thanks to everyone in England holding it down, because I almost have more listeners in England than I do in America right now. Um, which is fine. I love that red, white, and blue. Um, what else? Patreon, please go on. And if you want to donate, subscribe, what have you, I could really use some help keeping this podcast going. Um, yeah. And you get merchandise for donating and, uh, soon I will be doing some YouTube special videos for those who are donating. So, you get to see my happy face filled with sarcasm for those who enjoy pumpkin spice lattes. (laughs) Maybe I'll drink a pumpkin spice latte if you donate on Patreon. Maybe that's what my big donator will get. (laughs) And I'll eat my words, or rather drink my words, because maybe pumpkin spice lattes are delicious just somehow feel that that many chemicals in a latte um, isn't the best idea. So, whatever. Um, So this week, or rather tonight, I am watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, and having coffee. And I'm, I found a book at the thrift store called Ghost Stories of Colorado. So I'm going to share a couple of the stories out of it and get you ready for the spookiness that is Halloween. And you'll probably get um, two episodes this week. Maybe three. Who knows if I'm feeling froggy. I just might jump. So I'm going to start with a story. Um... Let's see, what am I going to start with? I don't even know in this book. Um, This one is called The House in Coyote Gulch. So, it goes like this. The Jameson brothers had noticed dark clouds looming early that morning, but had hitched the wagon to horses anyway, hoping that the weather would not turn out as bad as it looked. The ride to Franktown from their Douglas County farm was half a day's ride at least, and they were sure... They were going to get some rain, but their father insisted they make the trip. Their plow was in urgent need of repair, and the tools were in town. 
That was a good nine hours ago. And Matthew and John were still holed up. They looked up. They looked upon an abandoned ranch house earlier that afternoon when the storm picked up from bad to crazy. The rain was pounding on the house like a hundred thousand hammers falling from the sky. The thunder was seconds behind the lightning, and it had been that way for well over an hour. John suggested that it wasn't getting any further away, just closer to them. His older brother, Matthew, um, basically said that the storm was going to stay, so they might as well stay. So, the brothers said they would spend the night in this deserted ranch house. Um, the storm was showing no signs of letting up, and it was getting too dark for safe travel, especially considering how muddy the trails would be. The idea did not bother Matthew so much. Difficult as their father could be, there was no way he could blame them for not making the full trip back in this weather. And as for spending the night in an old deserted ranch house, dirty and leaky, Matthew barely gave it a second thought. As tough and practical as his father was, Matthew just did not have it in him to get spooked by the creepy surroundings. John, however, was having a much more difficult time with the situation they were in. Something about the place really bothered him. There was a sound the wind made as it blew through the gaps in the wood planks. A sound partway between a moan and a scream, depending on how hard it was gusting. The rain leaked through the sagging ceiling and decrepit walls leaving dark stains on the wallpaper that still hung here and there in patches. The fire they had lit in the hearth did not make things any more inviting. It only made the scene a bit more forlorn. It casted a shivery light on the dirt and discarded effects of whoever once called this place home. There were two buffalo horns mounted over the doorway um, from what they thought was used to be the kitchen, and there were a few empty bottles in the corner of the room. They had actually been using decayed firewood. Oh, sorry, decayed furniture for firewood. Who do you think lived here? John asked. He had to break the silence. Matthew did not look up from his dinner. I guess they were ranchers, said Matthew. Does it give you the shivers? Was John's next question. Matthew finally looked up and he smiled. Oh, look at that. Little Johnny's scared of ghosts in the spooky old house. Do you want me to go get your mommy for you? John just rolled his eyes. I didn't say I was scared. I was just wondering if you were. I'm not scared of anything. Matthew went back to his dinner and said, Sure, John, I know you're not scared. But he spoke too soon. For at that moment, the sky outside was lit up a brilliant blue color followed by the loudest peal of thunder they had ever heard, and then came the scream. It was the most terrifying sound either one of them had ever heard. It was high-pitched and agonizing. It reached octaves of pain and terror neither brother had ever imagined, and it sounded like it was coming from within the house upstairs. The two of them had not been up there yet. I'm getting freaked out. So if you guys are getting freaked out and you want me to stop, just um, just say stop and I will stop. But in the meantime, I'm going to continue, I'm going to, continue to tell you the story.
John screamed and he grabbed his brother who was looking up at the ceiling with a very small measure of alarm in his eyes. A minute passed in dreadful silence before John could gather his thoughts. What the hell was that? He said. It sounded like paw, said Matthew, and he laughed. He's as mad as a banshee that we didn't make it back in time. Maddie, that is no reason to joke. I think there's somebody up there. Doubt it, but I'm going to go look up there anyway, said Matthew. A spark of terror flashed through John's eyes at the suggestion, and he grabbed Matthew's pant leg. What are you doing? He said to his younger brother. Then he softened his tone, seeing how terrified he was. Don't worry about it. Just going to take a quick look, just in case anybody up there needs help. That's not it, Maddie. I swear. There's something unnatural about this place. I can feel it. We've got to get out of here and quick, said John. Matthew was careful to maintain his calm demeanor. What? Into that? He pointed out into the storm. You are crazy. There's no traveling in that storm. But what if there's some kind of maniac up there? Some kind of murdering hermit who's just waiting for you to go up there? Hell, if that's the case, then I better go up there before he comes down here, says Matthew. John looked around the room. Don't leave me here, Maddie. Please, don't go up there. Just pretend like nothing happened. Let's stay down here until daybreak. Oh, John, don't be daft. What would Dad say about this? Stay put. I'll be back in a minute. And with those words, Matthew turned his back on his terrified brother and went up the narrow staircase. Oh, my God. Guys, I'm kind of freaking out right now. I've never read this story. <laughs> Nor do I know what is going to happen next. So I'm kind of freaking out. Are the doors locked? Are the windows locked? Yes and yes. Here we go. Whew. All John heard was the sound of Matthew's footsteps above. It was obvious his brother was walking slowly, choosing his steps carefully. Then there was silence. The rain continued to fall. The wind continued to blow. The thunder continued to roll. Long minutes passed without so much as a sound from above. John John and his John's fears mounted. His blood went cold. The shadows came to life. He prodded at the fire. When he broke the swelling silence, it was at the top of his voice. Maddie, what the hell are you doing up there? His brother didn't respond. I said, Maddie, quit your fooling and get your behind back down here. I'm not kidding around, man. When several more minutes passed without a reply, John lost his composure and started breaking down, tears streaming down his cheeks. He shouted his brother's name again and again, and when there was still no answer, he broke a leg off a chair, wrapped one end of it with a rag, jabbed it into the fire, and proceeded upstairs. The makeshift torch was in his shaking hand. At the top of the stairs was a short, narrow hall that ended in an open doorway. Beyond, a single garret room under an angled ceiling. By the flickering of the light of his torch, he saw a filthy curtain twisted before the room's single window, which was open to the storm. Broken glass littered the floor underneath it, and the warped night table 
next to it was on the verge of collapse. There was also a rusted bed frame and a rotting mattress covered in leaves, garbage, and rodent droppings. But his brother was nowhere to be found. He whispered into the room, refusing to believe his eyes. Maddie, where the hell are you? John crept into the room, navigating the soft floorboards with care. He slowly passed the bed in the night table. At the window, he brushed the billowing curtain aside and looked out. Lightning flashed, and he saw the landscape clearly for an instant. There below were the horses. It seemed like an eternity ago now, when they rode into the gulch seeking shelter from the storm. The memory of the frantic ride triggered a thought in his mind, and that thought paralyzed him. The gulch... He had thought of it when they were riding down earlier that day, but he had quickly forgotten about it. They were riding into Coyote Gulch. He had recalled for a moment the childhood stories he and his friends told each other at school about Coyote Gulch and the the abandoned McIntyre house. That was where they were. Everyone knew the McIntyre house was possessed. The thought came and he felt a cold within. There was a voice inside of him telling him to turn around. The lightning flashed and the thunder rumbled. Not five feet from where he's standing was a man he had never seen before. In the next incident, instant, another terrible shriek filled the room. The same as before, except louder, coming from inside the room right next to him. He jumped and screamed. He saw the figure in the room flash out of sight and then he ran tearing out of the bedroom and practically down the stairs. He had no idea what happened to Matthew. In those frantic moments, as he threw together his belongings, he put on his hat and threw open the door. He was convinced his brother was gone, claimed somehow by the ghost of the evil McIntyres, who surely still resided in this infamous house. Just as he flung open the door, a man stumbled over the threshold, and John screamed. It took him a few confused seconds to register the man's laughter. Did you just scream, Johnny? It was Matthew. (gasps) You're here! Where the hell was I supposed to be? Said Matthew. What's gotten into you? What the hell's gotten into you? John shouted. Disappearing like this in this godforsaken place on this godforsaken night? Look, I just went up there in that bedroom and I swore I saw a guy jumping out the window. I only saw him for a second, but it looked like he needed help, so I followed him out. John was holding his breath. Well, Matthew, did you find him? What was wrong with him? Huh. There was no one out there. I looked all around, and I couldn't see him. Matthew replied and just shook his head. There's no way anyone could have moved out that fast. I was right behind him. But he wasn't there. There was no one there. This is a McIntyre house, Maddie. It's full of ghosts. Huh. What? The McIntyre house? Matthew said more to himself than his brother. He had not even thought about it. It had been years since he attended school. The stories about the McIntyre house came back at once. and he, start, he stared at the interior of the house. We must be the biggest fools in the county. Get your stuff together, Johnny. We're going now. But John had already gotten his belongings together. He watched his brother quickly grab his belongings as well. The Jameson brothers drove their horses out of Coyote Gulch, happily risking the storm over one more second in the McIntyre house. As a rule, 
folks in the county south of Denver stayed away from the McIntyre house. McIntyre and his two boys had built the house tucked into Coyote Gulch in 1871. The part of the gulch became a place to avoid soon after. The clan had just had bad news written all over them. It was as simple as that. The senior McIntyre had a boorish manner and an acid mouth that put the meanest cowpunchers to shame, and his wife, a poor downtrodden woman, walked with the air of someone who knew fear as a constant companion. But as detestable as Mr. McIntyre was, he was nowhere as bad as the two sons from his first marriage, Jack and Jim. Indistinguishable from each other, they were spitting, snorting specimens who belonged to the devil. They were violent parasites who stole from men and beat women. The trio lacked ambition and imagination for large-scale crime. They were content to do enough just to get by. They would sneak out at night into the neighbors' ranches and rustle the livestock. No one liked the McIntyres, which was fine because they didn't like anyone else. The end of their Coyote Gulch, their end of Coyote Gulch became a place that locals stayed clear of, but no one told hapless men traveling by stage from Denver to Pueblo in 1873. Unfortunately, this man's ride left without him after a rest stop at 20 Mile House Station. Nursing no small amount of frustration, the man decided to walk to the next stop, Russellville, 10 miles away, where if no other stage came by that day, there was a hotel where he could stay for the night. On that day, fate would intercede in the cruelest imaginable way. A heavy thunderstorm broke while the man was on the road. He ran into Coyote Gulch to take shelter and saw the lights of the McIntyre house shining among the trees. Having heard nothing of the family's reputation, he did not hesitate to approach. The senior McIntyre answered the door, scowling, but the frown disappeared when he saw the soaking traveler. Here, the old man thought, was an opportunity not to miss. It was impossible to know how far, how old McIntyre was willing to take, how far old McIntyre was willing to take the situation. Sorry, my words got confused. It would not matter, however, to his sons, Jack and Jem, who took over for their father as they were staggering over to see who was knocking. Taking stock of the lost traveler standing out in the rain, all three McIntyre men found themselves thinking the same thing. Yes, here, most definitely, was quite an opportunity. They welcomed the man in with wide grins. They fed him the best cut of meat from one of their stolen animals. They opened up their best bottle of whiskey and told him stories of ranching adventures late until the night. They opened up their best... Oh, sorry. When the man grew too weary to keep his eyes open, they offered him the best bed upstairs. Old man McIntyre and his wife would sleep downstairs in the main room that night. The man did not want to accept his offer, but they insisted. And so... He went upstairs. He never made it through the night. No one can say exactly what three McIntyre men discussed in hushed voices after their guests fell asleep. It is impossible to know how the decision was reached, who suggested it, if there was any dis- disagreement, and how it could be carried out. But no matter what the decision was made, sometime past midnight, there was going to be a murder. So as to avoid waking the man by walking up the creaking staircase, Jack and Jim climbed into the bedroom through the window. 
The traveler was fast asleep when one of the brothers sunk a knife into the man's chest. Yet, until this night, the McIntyres were only cattle rustlers, not murderers. They did not know anything about killing humans. The blade was mishandled, and the man woke up from his sleep, screaming in agony and terror, the knife protruding from his chest. He leapt to his feet, and the two brothers were immediately on him. One was jabbing the knife deeper, and the other was trying to knock him back on the bed. The man kept them both at bay until Jack drew another knife and stabbed the man again. The second wound was the one that did it, and the traveler collapsed. He breathed his last breath on that bedroom floor. Jack and Jim did not waste any time. As they discovered that night, murder and robbery came quite naturally to them. They rifled through his belongings, taking his watch, his gold, his wallet, and even his boots. And then they threw his body out the window. They buried him that night in the pouring rain among a stand of trees. The crime, however, did not go unpublished. When word got out that a traveler out of Denver had disappeared somewhere between Twenty Mile House and Russellville, all eyes turned to Coyote Gulch. A posse of armed men rode down to the McIntyre house a few days later. Storming to the home, the posse quickly found bloodstains on the bed all over the floor in the windowsill. It was all the evidence they needed. No one liked the McIntyres to begin with, and a nearby tree was promptly outfitted with three nooses. And yet, to the chagrin of many men in the posse, only one of those ropes would be used on that day. During the course of this impromptu investigation, Jack McIntyre managed to get away. He disappeared into the trees of Coyote Gulch, and then from the Colorado Territory altogether. As for the senior McIntyre, he was saved thanks to Mrs. McIntyre's pleas and Jim's insistence that his father had nothing to do with it. Thus, Jim, alone, went to the makeshift gallows to be hanged while his father and stepmother looked on. He was buried without ceremony at the base of that tree. Hmm. The McIntyre story does not end here. They promptly left the territory, and as soon as word got out, Coyote Gulch became widely regarded as cursed. It was damned forever by the brutal crime that was committed there and by the spirit of the lonely travel traveler who for many years has still been heard screaming for his life on stormy summer nights. Uh, that's a creepy story for you. Man, that was really creepy. Um, I really wish I had time to read another one. Because I am really digging this book that I got for two ninety five. Thanks, thrift store. You're amazing. Um, so yeah. Um, maybe on Thursday, I will try to read you another story from this book. I hope everyone has a fantastic week. I am going to continue to watch horror movies because it's the most wonderful time of the year. Happy Halloween-y. Um, enjoy your week. Dress up. Wear your pajamas to work. Wear a cute outfit. Go get some candy. Uh, yeah. I'm going to finish up my coffee. And, uh, I'll talk to you guys on maybe Thursday. Maybe Tuesday. Who knows? Uh, enjoy your night, guys. Bye.